Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right today? Everybody doing all right? Hey, I love Christmas. You know how much I love Christmas? Say how much. I'm wearing Christmas wreath socks today. They have wreaths on them. And that is how much I love Christmas. Like I told you a couple weeks ago, I'm not going to be like LL Cool J. I'm going to roll these back down. But um, listen, I lo- some of you got that. Others of you, LL Cool J in the 90s. With, no, I'm just kidding. All right. So listen, I love Christmas. I love the season. I love the songs. I love the gifts. I love the trees. I love everything about this season. And, and, and I, I'm in a season right now in the midst of this season, a couple days previous to now, a couple days coming up where I've got 11 parties in like nine days or eight days. I'm not even sure how that's possible. Like I have a brunch party and a lunch party and a lupper party. I don't know. What is the meal between lunch and supper? Does anybody know what that's called? It's just early, early second lunch, early dinner. All right, well, I'm, I'm, I'm always in favor of that. And then like a dinner party. I don't know, but I've got like a bunch of those. And then over like a 10-day period, I'm speaking like five or six times. But here's the deal. If that happened in the middle of May, it would be like the death of me. But at Christmas, I love it. I mean, we're preaching about the reason for the season, the birth, the baby, Jesus. Like, I love this season. And I told you a couple weeks ago, if you were here, that I love the songs of Christmas. And, and really, that's what we've been about. But I mean, all these things that we celebrate, all that we do, will culminate next weekend. And you just heard, just a few minutes ago, we've got these uh, three opportunities for you to come and be in service with us, two on Saturday night, one on Sunday morning. They're all pretty much identical, like the experience will be the same. Christmas Eve at 6 and 7.30, we'll have candlelight. It'll be a really sweet, amazing service. On Christmas morning, we'll have a, a communion time, just a really great reflection. And so we would love for you to be here to celebrate. You will not regret being with us, so make sure you pick tickets up for that. I think we're almost out. We may be com- completely out of our 6 o'clock Christmas Eve service um, seats, so you can come at 7.30 or 11 o'clock on Christmas morning, but it's just going to be incredible uh, to celebrate. So we want you to be here because, like I said, man, it's the reason for the season. It's so exciting, and I love this season. And over the last few weeks, what we've been doing in our services is we've been talking about Christmas carols. Christmas carols are those songs that we use to celebrate, but we've been, taking, we've been going away from, you know, Joy to the World and Hark the Herald Angels Sing and Silent Night and all those things, and we've been looking at the songs that come from the Bible in the Christmas story So two weeks ago, we were in Luke chapter 1, and we looked at the song of Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus. We were looking at this song that she sang after she received word from the angel that she, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would supernaturally conceive this child, and that that child would be the Messiah. He would be the Son of God, and he would come, and he would be the Savior of the world. And she sings this song about the favor of God on her life and how he could possibly even choose her and how she would be obedient that last week we stayed in Luke chapter one, and we talked about the song of Zechariah. We had the kids' performance last Sunday, and it was so so cute. It was so amazing, except for that one part where my daughter put her hand over another little girl's mouth when she wasn't supposed to be singing. If you're not friends with me on Facebook or Instagram, you need to go see that clip. It's amazing, um, and we were kind of embarrassed, but it was really funny. But other than that, then we talked about the song of Zechariah, and we talked about the idea that Zechariah is this old man with an old barren wife who can't have children, and the angel shows up to him and says, you in your old age, you and your old barren wife, you're going to have a son. And he's like, how can this be? And because of his doubt, God shuts his mouth for nine months. He's not able to speak for nine 
months. And then at the end of that nine months, when the child is born, God opens up his mouth again, and he begins to praise God about the salvation of mankind through the story that God is writing in the world. And so today we're going to jump from Luke chapter 1 into Luke chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, you've got a device, you can follow along there in Luke chapter 2. As we look at this final story, this final song, this final Christmas carol, at least for us in the context of these three weeks. And we're going to look at the song of Simeon. It's a guy that you may not be familiar with. Some of you may be because, uh, you know, as opposed to Luke chapter 1, which we don't often read as a part of the Christmas story in in family gatherings and things, this is in Luke chapter 2. So this is kind of a part of that larger story that we do read. And so sometimes people will connect the dots here with Simeon. But we're going to read a little bit about Simeon, talk about who he is, and see how this story connects to what we're celebrating in this season of time. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, if you're following along, This is what it says. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations." a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now I think every time we read a passage of scripture when we come together, Similar to what we just did, I always come back and say this line, man, there's so much good stuff in here, but there's so much good stuff in there, and there's not really time for us to unpack every piece of this passage and this song from Simeon and this conversation that takes place. But there are a few things that I think are important for us to focus on. So let me just set the scene for you and help you to understand what's taking place here. This is after, obviously, the birth of Jesus. There was no room in the inn, remember? So they went and they gave birth to Jesus. Mary gave birth to Jesus there in a little barn and in the manger, and there's animals, and then there's eventually shepherd, and there's eventually wise men, and all these things that we see with our nativity set. And then they travel back home. Remember, they went, they went back home. And so what they did is they, they traveled uh, by, by way from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to do what the ritual would have required of them to do. They had to do two things primarily as a part of this ritual, according to the law. They had to have Jesus, this this male, as a part of the Hebrew people. They had to have him circumcised. And so they would have done that at about the seven-day mark after his birth. And then about the 33-day mark after that, or about 40 days after Jesus' birth, Mary would have to go to the temple and present, present herself 
and her sacrifice to show that she was now clean. She would have been considered under the law unclean during this time when she had the baby uh, and right after the birth of the baby, she would have been considered unclean under the ritual of the law there. And so about 40 days or so after that birth, she would have had to come and bring sacrifice to offer herself to say, I am now clean. And then they would receive that. The, The priest would offer that sacrifice on her behalf. And then she would be considered clean among the people. And so They had three options with the kinds of sacrifices that they could bring when they came to do this specific sacrifice. They could offer, any any mother or father could offer a a young lamb. And this lamb would have been an acceptable sacrifice. It would have been the most acceptable sacrifice because it would have offered the, the blood of atonement for her to be considered clean. But if you didn't have the means, if you weren't wealthy, if you didn't have financial resources, you didn't have lambs that you could bring Uh, when you had to offer sacrifice. You could also bring these two birds. You could bring two pigeons or two doves, and you could bring those in place of the lamb because the blood could still be poured out. If you didn't have the means to do that, if you didn't even have the means to come up with these two birds, then you could bring a pure type of flower. It wouldn't have been flour like seasoned with anything. It would have been as pure a flour as you could come up with, ground down, and you would have brought that flour and presented that flour because you couldn't provide the lamb and you couldn't provide the dove. And that flour would have been used in the temple as the sacrifice that you were providing to provide nutrition and food for those that were working in the temple. So we see here that Joseph and Mary show up and they don't have a lamb. They had these two birds. And what this tells us is that they were relatively poor. They weren't the most, kind of the worst off in all of the people there, but they, they, they couldn't provide the most acceptable sacrifice. So they were poor. We understand that they were kind of lowly. And that's obvious because they didn't even have a place to give birth, right? They just kind of, whatever they could find out behind the inn where the animals were at and where the animals fed. And so that was the only place they could come up with. And so they didn't even have like the best sacrifice to be able to offer. So they come in with these two birds. And so they came into the temple courts. And just for context, the temple courts would have been like the lobby of the church, It would have been the place where you came in today, before you came in to the auditorium, before you came in, just again for context, we don't call this, but like before you came into the temple, before you came into the place of ministry, the place of sacrifice, the place of gifts, before you came into this place, you would have been out in the temple courts. You would have been out in the lobby. Now, the temple courts was this place that a lot of people would have been. There would have been a lot of people in the temple courts, and they would have been out there, and they would have been fellowshipping with one another, talking together, conversing with one another. They would have been celebrating long-lost friends that they hadn't seen. Because remember, Joseph and Mary, they had to travel from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to make this sacrifice at the temple. So other people would have been traveling a great distance to come to the temple to offer sacrifice for various reasons. And so there would have been a number of people in the temple courts. And like church people tend to do when they get together in lobbies or other, you know, community type places, they would have been talking and who do you know? Oh, I know your great aunt and your sister Sally and I went to, you know, temple with them back when, you know, before you were even born, you were a young little lad and all. I mean, that's what church people kind of do. And so that's what they would have been doing in the temple courts. And so there would have been a lot of people. So just put aside for a minute Joseph and Mary and newborn baby Jesus and the sacrifice that they brought. They're just kind of hanging out over in the corner of the temple courts. There was this other guy, Simeon, that we read about. Now, Simeon, we believe, according to history and according to what's written here, we believe him to be an old man. He actually said, you know, you can take me on now, Lord. My life's kind of complete. It's over. So we believe him to be up in age. And it also says that he's a very devout and faithful or religious man. Uh, He would have been someone who was respected. If you can think of, like, the most respected, revered, faithful, older person in your life, maybe it's a grandparent, 
Maybe it's just your next door neighbor. Maybe it's an old boss you had or an old teacher, an aunt, an uncle, maybe your parents. Somebody that you really respect or respected, very old, very wise, very faithful, very devout in the things that they would do. This is the picture of Simeon that we're given in Scripture. And so we have this old man, and the Bible tells us that he was all about the consolation of Israel. If you know anything about history, you understand that Israel in this time in history was not its own nation. They were under the umbrella of the government, and they had really been captured previously, and so they're, they're, they're having to report to a different type of leadership. They're having to pay taxes to a different type of leadership. They don't have their own government. This is why when Jesus eventually, at the end of his life, was arrested before he goes to the cross, he has to stand before several different types of you know, people that may have the authority to set him free or not set him free. There's the religious court and those people, and then there's also the government there. And so we understand that Israel is not its own people. They're not autonomous at this time in history. And so Simeon, one of the things that his life would have been about is he wanted to see that God was going to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham back in the book of Genesis. We see that God made a promise to Father Abraham that you know, his offspring, his heirs would, would become a great people and they would be a nation and they would have a land and they would have a place of blessing and God would bless through them and they would be blessed because of this. And, and so he was about seeing, Simeon was, he was about seeing the promise of the fulfillment of what God was going to do in Israel. And because of that, he was waiting on the Savior. He was waiting on the Messiah. He was waiting on the one that would come and reconcile all these things for Israel. He would come onto the scene and he would be their king. He would be their Savior. And we understand because we read later in the Gospels that the disciples were in that same vein. They thought really that Jesus was the guy that was going to show up and overthrow the government when he was talking about establishing his kingdom They thought he was talking about a literal kingdom right then where he would overthrow the government. He would establish his own throne and he would do that. And so we see here that Simeon's life was about making sure that the people of God, the children of Israel, would be established, would be reconciled. They would be brought back to the promise of what God had given to Father Abraham and what those people had been holding on to for generation and generation and generation. And so we understand through what we just read that the Holy Spirit had promised to Simeon that he would see the Messiah before he died. Before he passed away, he was going to see the Savior. He was going to see the Messiah. And so we don't know if that was a few days before this event. We don't know if it was a few weeks before. We don't know if it was a few months before or a few years before. But we understand that at some point in his life prior to this experience, that the Holy Spirit had impressed upon him that he would see the Messiah. And so he waited. And he watched as history continued to work against him and the promise that he saw and the promise he was holding to and what God might do through his people and in his people. And so he waited. Again, it may have been a few days. It may have been a few weeks or months, maybe even a few years. But he waited. And on this particular day, he wakes up and he feels that impression of the Holy Spirit again. It says, not only are you going to see the Messiah before you pass away, you're going to see him today. Get up and go to the temple courts. Now, I've tried to envision what that would feel like, what that would be like. And the closest thing I can come up to is Christmas morning, where you want a gift. You've asked for a gift. You've expected a gift. You kind of think maybe your parents have bought it for you. 
you, 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 you saw the Amazon email kind of come in, but they closed it before you could read it, and so you weren't really sure, like, what did they buy me? Did they get the thing? Like, they've got Prime, so it's free shipping. Maybe that's where they bought it, or you saw them put the stuff in the trunk and cover it with the blanket, and you're like, it kind of looked like a box that a bike would come in. I don't know. Like, I think maybe that was it, and it's like, a, it looked like a dollhouse. I'm not, and so on Christmas Eve, you're laying in your bed, and you're dreaming about the gift that you think you may receive, and so you wake up on Christmas morning, and you cannot wait to get downstairs, to get to the tree, to find find the thing to get the gift that you've been waiting on. I kind of think that might be what Simeon was experiencing. Even though it's wrapped in the Christmas story, I don't want to take too much here, but I think it might have been exactly like Christmas morning for Simeon when he wakes up on this random day, holding on to the promise that God, through the Holy Spirit, had said, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. And he said, well, I'm an old man. Somehow this has got to come to pass pretty quickly. And he wakes up that morning and maybe he's stretching those old bones and those old muscles and he's getting out of bed and he's creaking and he's, oh man. And he feels the Holy Spirit in that way that the Holy Spirit would speak to him to say, today's the day, Simeon. I want you to get up. I want you to get dressed. I want you to go to the temple courts because today you're going to see the Messiah. Can you imagine how fast an old man could get dressed? Like, he's throwing the tunic on, he's grabbing the cane, like, he's, he's getting out, he's running out, maybe he didn't run, but he's walking real fast, or he's walking kind of slow, but, like, he's walking, he's getting to the temple, he walks into the temple courts, he's been waiting a long time for this, and remember, the temple courts, there would have been a lot of people there. There would have been people from all over, different communities, and in that community, and there would have been a lot of people of all different ages, and I don't know that it played out like this, so I'm not trying to expand what's written here in Scripture. But I just, in my mind's eye, I kind of envision Simeon walking in and going, what does a Messiah even look like? Like, what does the Savior that's going to reconcile Israel even look like today in the temple courts? And he's just looking around, and he's watching, and he's seeing, like, who? Maybe that, nope, he's leaving. He's, I guess that's not him. And he's looking around, and he's looking around, like, what is it? Look, is he going to be wearing a hat that says, like, make Israel great again? Or, like... Yeah, yeah. I thought that would be pretty funny. It got better response now than it did at 8.30, so I don't know. But like, what does a Messiah even look like? And he's looking around. Maybe he's looking for an older man that had some ability to lead an army to overthrow a government. Maybe it was a younger man who had the energy to set up and establish a kingdom, an authority. And so he's looking, he's looking, and he's looking, and he's looking. And I don't know for sure that it happened this way, but I, I kind of envision him just kind of looking across the temple courts. And over in the corner, just trying to figure out like where they're supposed to go next and what they're supposed to do. They've never really done this before. Is this young couple with a newborn baby. And you know how young couples are like Corey and I used to have really young kids. Our kids are not super old now, we understand that, but like we used to have really young kids where you've got like diaper bags and you've got like, I mean, just more stuff than you've got a mat in case they want to crawl on the floor and you've got like a thing to put on the edge of the table so they don't, you know, like eat the edge of the table and all the germs. Like you've got everything you could possibly, you could live like three days on the food that's down in that diaper bag if the child needed food or formed their way. They've got all that stuff. They've traveled from Bethlehem into Jerusalem and they've just got like their diaper bag with all their stuff. And they've got their two birds that are the sacrifice, probably wrapped up in something. Joseph probably would have been carrying that. And they've got the baby. And, and I don't know, like maybe they're looking for the sign, like where do we go? Where do we, where do we offer the sacrifice? We've never, we've never offered sacrifice for this before. This is our first child. Young teenage girl, young teenage husband, 
the baby. And, and it's almost like in my mind's eye, I just envision like Simeon's looking across the temple courts. He's looking for the Messiah. And he sees this young couple. When he sees him, it's almost like he thinks, is, is that young man, is he, is he the Messiah? No, I don't. Surely it wouldn't be her. Like in our culture, a woman would not be the one that would be the Savior. And I don't know what the Holy Spirit did inside of him in that moment. But I know earlier, if you remember from Luke chapter 1, that when Mary, when she was still carrying Jesus in her womb, showed up to visit Elizabeth while she was carrying, Elizabeth was her cousin, when she was still carrying who we would later know to be John the Baptist, this baby in her, when, when they came into the same room, the Holy Spirit and the power of God that was in Mary's womb through the person, the baby of Jesus, it caused the baby in Elizabeth's womb to leap with joy. And I don't know if it was that same Holy Spirit connection because the Bible tells us that Simeon was filled with the Spirit of God. So I don't know if there was something in him that kind of leapt with joy to go, this is it. What I've been waiting for, all this, this baby is it. And so can you picture it? He just walks across the temple courts and he walks over to this young couple. They got their diaper bag and their sacrifice and their baby and they got all the, the stuff and it's like, can I hold your baby? I remember having our first little baby. He played the drums this morning. When Cooper was a little baby, he was like five pounds, seven ounces. He was little. And I remember the doctor telling us that the two worst places to take your newborn baby were Walmart and church because of all the germs and all the people. And I was like, we only shop at Walmart because we're broke. And I work at a church. <laughs> we are in trouble. What are we supposed to do? And so we did what any good parent would do. Like we let Corey stay home for a few weeks after the birth. She didn't go to church. And you know, we're trying to protect our baby. We're trying to make sure he doesn't get germs and doesn't get sick. And so we're like, we're, you know, we, we had the car seat carrier thing and we like draped a blanket over the top of it. And like we just, you know, people, can, can I hold, can I hold little Cooper? And be like, no, no, he's sleeping in there right now. And they're like, he's crying. No, but he's really trying to get to sleep. So no, you can't, you can't hold him right now. And they're like, how old is he now? We're like, he's almost four. No, like we just, no. You just try to protect him. You do the best that you can, and you just don't know. And so here's this old man that they probably don't know, and he walks up to this young couple, and there he's like, can I hold your child? Imagine that young teenage mother, that young teenage father, just 40 days after the birth of this baby. They say, well, sure. And Simeon takes the baby in his arms. I don't know if it was like the Lion King, like with Mufasa, when he like holds him up. I'm not sure if that's how it worked. He just holds the baby in his arms. And it's not going to be back up on the screen, but I want to read you his song one more time. I want you to picture this old man who's waited for the promise to be holding in his hands a baby that looks nothing like a savior. And listen to what he says. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel.
I don't know, I, I feel like sometimes I need to repent to God for the times that I have missed what God was doing because it didn't look like what I thought it should look like. Like, God, I, I want you to answer this prayer, but let me help you because when you answer this prayer, I'm sure you're gonna do it this way. Like, God, let me, let me ask you to help me in this situation with my marriage or my kids or my job or my finances or some other relationship or some other need I have, a physical need in my body. And so, God, would you please touch this need that I have? But I'm sure, God, that you're going to meet this need this way. And then as the prayer is actually being answered in a completely different way, I refuse to believe that it's God at work in my life because it didn't look like what I thought it would. And yet here's an old man whose entire life had been about the reconciliation of Israel, the fulfillment of the promise of God through Father Abraham, the raising up of his people back to their rightful place in history, waiting on a savior, waiting on a Messiah, waiting on the one who would set it right. And he fits in the crook of his elbow. But he says, Sovereign Lord, you can take me now. My eyes have seen your salvation. He says, my eyes have seen the light of the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, interestingly, right in the middle of what we just read, Actually, throw that up there for me, Daryl. Verses 30 through 32. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is still Luke chapter 2. The Gentiles actually don't have a part in the story yet. This is a Jewish story. We, the Gentiles, who are not of Jewish descent, and I'm painting with a very broad brush. Maybe some of you do have Jewish descent. I do not. I'm not a part of the story yet. And yet this old man... This devout, faithful man, out of his relationship with God, has enough discernment and wisdom to see what God has done here. That the salvation of man is not just for Jewish men and women. That the story's larger than that. Think about it. Because what he says is, he's like, listen, my whole life I've been focused on save us, save our people. This is the story. God, help me, fix me, do this thing. And God's like, yeah, 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 I'm doing that and so much more. And he says, my eyes have seen the salvation and the light of revelation to the Gentiles. It's almost like Simeon had this light bulb moment. I see what you're doing now, God. This is not the first time that we actually hear about this. If you remember earlier in the story, we didn't read it today, but it's in the same chapter. You've read it before. Earlier in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, this much more famous passage says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. 
Who was the story of Christmas for? All the people. See, I think for some of us, we, we actually miss what God's doing because we're so focused on what we want God to do for us only. The story of Christmas is so many different things. I think I've said three or four times, maybe a dozen times in this three-week series, this is the story of Christmas. This is the story of Christmas. This is the story of Christmas. Well, guess what? I was right every time. They all were the story of Christmas. And you know what I think the story of Christmas is here? Part of the story of Christmas is not giving up. Simeon, this old man, had been waiting to see God fulfill the promise. It's not giving up. It's just continuing to wait and believe that God is going to send the answer. It's just holding on, holding up hope to say, God, I believe. I am, I'm set in my faith. I'm trusting you. I'm believing in you. I'm not going to give up. That's the story of Christmas. You want to know what the story of Christmas is? The story of Christmas is having enough trust and faith and hope in God that it's God at work even when the answer doesn't look like you think it should. That's the story of Christmas. It's the Savior in the form of a baby. That's the story of Christmas. And some of you today, you came and what you need to know is that you just don't need to give up. Your life hasn't worked out the way you thought it would. Just, just don't give up. Just wait. Just hold on. God's not done with you yet. And I know that because you're still here. The story of Christmas is just, just wait. Just trust. Just believe. Just hope that God's going to see the plan through. Some of you showed up today, and what you need to know is that the story of Christmas is that the answer that you're looking for may look different than you think it will. And so open your heart and open your mind and have enough wisdom and enough discernment. Ask God to give those things to you so that you can see what God may be doing that you might be missing because it's different than you thought it would be. That's the story of Christmas, and maybe that's what you need today. You know what I think Christmas is also about? It's a story of inclusion. That's a scary word in church. We start talking about including everybody. People get nervous. No. Christmas is the story of inclusion. Christmas is the story that it's good news of great joy for all the people. Christmas is the story that says, I have seen your salvation. And yeah, it's for the glory of your people, Israel. But it's also the light of your revelation the Gentiles. And here's what I know. On Christmas morning, when my kids come to the tree and they open up these gifts that we have provided for them, if they're not careful, they can get selfish, right? My seven-year-old's going to open something and his brother's going to want to play with it. And he's going to do what you did, what I did. Sometimes what we still do, we go, no, you can't play with this. It's mine. It's my gift. I pray we never do that with Christmas. I pray we never assume that Christmas is about us and our gift and what we've received, right? Because Simeon could have said, I've seen your salvation. I've seen the Messiah. I've seen the Savior of Israel. They said, no, no, no. I actually realize now that the gift of Christmas is for everybody. It's the light of the revelation to the Gentiles. And so my prayer for all of us today, especially Christ followers in the room, which I realize not everybody in the room is, 
But if you're a Christ follower in the room, I pray that you and I pray that I never wrap our arms around Christmas and hold it for ourselves. No, we are called to receive the gift of Christmas so that we can give the gift of Christmas. It's good news of great joy for all the people. Christmas is about inclusion. And the reason that we're telling this story in this season is because there's hope for everyone. The reason that we got three services this next weekend, two on Christmas Eve and one on Christmas Day, is because we want you to bring your family members to come and be with you and worship and hear about this hope because it's the story of Christmas for them too. I pray we'd never wrap our arms around Christmas and keep it in for ourselves. No, no, no. It's good news of great joy for all the people. That's what Christmas is all about. Simeon looked across that temple court. He was looking for a savior. And he saw a young little couple holding a baby. And it was what he had been waiting for all of his life. That's Christmas. Open your mind, open your heart to believe that the way that God may be trying to answer your prayers might look a little different than you think. Keep holding on, keep waiting, keep believing, keep trusting that God is going to fulfill the promise that he has made. And make sure that you make Christmas about all the people that you know. Who do you know? Who do I know? That's an all the people person that just needs some good news. It's a rough season. There's a lot of people that are hurting. There's a lot of people that just need some good news news. What if we took Christmas to them? Let's pray. God, I thank you for Christmas and I thank you for this story. I thank you, God, for the incredible opportunity to present the song of Simeon today. The truth that if we just hold on, if we just believe, if we just trust, if we just wait, that you're going to see it through. You're going to do what you've always promised that you would do. And that, Lord, if we would open our hearts and open our minds, we might see the answer that you're sending to us. And it may look a little different than we thought, but it's still you at work. And, God, if we would allow ourselves to get less focused on us and more focused on the story at large, we would see that it's a story of inclusion. And I realize that some people will push the Savior away, and some people will miss it, and some people will reject him. But, God, it's our job to tell the story Share the good news. Give us the confidence and the boldness and the courage to do so. It's good news of great joy for all the people. Help us to deliver this good news in this season. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.